welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the 49ers control their playoff destiny. Two wins, and they are officially in. First up, it's the Houston Texans and a rookie QB who has actually gotten snaps and seemed to develop, develop this year. And with me this week, here to explain exactly how liking tweets works, it's David Newman. All right, it's been a little bit, but uh, please explain. Bro, you haven't you haven't been plugged into John Lynch Christmas Mass Tweetgate? <laughs> you could have stopped it, haven't been plugged in, and it would have been true. Oh man, so the 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 rumor, the word on the street here is that John Lynch liked, and this is actually a rumor, this is verifiably true. He liked a tweet that said, Leave Jimmy in Nashville. Liked John Lynch. And he's trying to say that he pocket liked. There are there are people who I think their job is just to watch the people they follow on Twitter and what they like. And this made the rounds very, very quickly. John Lynch then had to come out with an apology on Twitter saying, I was just at Christmas Mass. We'll put aside the fact that my man's on Twitter during Christmas Mass. And I accidentally liked this tweet. Uh, you know, he pocket liked it. He butt liked it. Who knows where he It's not a fucking from. thing. Butt dialing <laughs> and butt liking like hasn't been a thing in in fucking years. You know how many my, steps it takes? My dad would beg to differ. I get voicemails regularly. That is just background noise uh, because my what dad kind of has inadvertently called me. Does An iPhone. Bullshit. <laughs> I, you, have to, you have to unlock that shit either with passcode or with your fucking face. You have to open the right app. Then you have to magically like go to this tweet and like it or go to your name and call it like, no, it's just, it's no, it's not happening. All I'm saying is I don't think that you've appropriately accounted for the olds. Like when, when you have to zoom your phone in do so they that have, like do one line in Twitter. in their pockets? Like I, all I'm saying is if, if you're, if one tweet takes up the entire iPhone, you know, 11 max screen. And as you're, you know, dropping down your reading glasses to the bottom of your nose and you inadvertently fat finger it, you know, because, you, you know, I don't know, you've got maybe arthritic hands from playing safety in the NFL. You know, maybe, you you, you know, it lingers and it, it touches something as you're scrolling. That's all I'm saying. I can I can believe it. Anyway, he's already made up. He called Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo says it's fine. John Lynch will always be a class, a class act, according to Jimmy Garoppolo. We're all if good. But, but if I think you should tell tweets, him. You are worse than Jimmy Garoppolo uh, is at quarterback. <laughs> you were worse at, well, we'll at phones than I guess Jimmy Garoppolo is at playing quarterback. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, and actually, let's 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 jump right into the Jimmy Garoppolo era because I thought that we were at the end of the Jimmy Garoppolo era at this point. He was. I thought we had achieved basically the full Jimmy Garoppolo experience in the Titans game. It's it, it's him playing well and playing efficiently for weeks against teams that were like okay, or in some cases like you know moderately above average, and then. You know, you just don't know when the Jimmy Garoppolo bomb is going to hit, when you're going to get those turnover-worthy plays, and they hit against Tennessee, and then he gets injured. I mean, that is like the full Jimmy Garoppolo experience right there. And and he apparently tore his UCL, his ulnar collateral ligament, maybe, if I'm remembering correctly, and he tore it so it pulled off a piece of the bone. Just a little a little chip. A little flat bone, I think, uh, was, right, was how it was in, in the athletic article. Yeah, there's just a little, a little tiny PJ Fleck inside of his hand, screaming obscenities every time he throws the ball at a linebacker. Um, but that, that is, I thought that he was done. I mean, this is an injury that was that Drew Brees kept him out. He had surgery five weeks, that whole thing. Um, but apparently, we hear today that it's not that bad. 
It's basically a pain tolerance thing. It's structurally sound is what Shanahan said uh, after all of the equivocations of the I'm not a doctor thing. And 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 yeah, so it's it, he didn't practice today, though, which doesn't bode well for his chances to play on Sunday against the Houston Texans in a game that if they win and the Saints lose, they clinch a playoff spot. Shanahan out here being like, if Jimmy's not a little bitch, it's structurally sound. It's just a pain thing. <laughs> sure. My guy has like a torn ligament and, and just, you know, a little fleck of bone because that's a fucking perfectly normal thing uh, that happens to your fingers, especially in your throwing hand. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, uh, obviously, Jimmy says uh, that he's going to be ready to go. I guess we'll, we're still kind of waiting to find out if that's true or not. Um, I, I really can't be surprised either way at this point. Uh, I can't say that it's a good thing either way for the 49ers and like their chances of offensive success in this game. Well, here's, here's the part that confuses me is, is you've insulated yourself. And that's the word that the 49ers brass used over the course of the season. This is why they went out and got Trey Lance. And this is the part of the plan, the, the master plan of having him sit behind Jimmy Garoppolo for a year is you insulate yourself so that if you do have an injury to your injury-prone quarterback, you have a highly drafted backup who can come in and in spot play get you a game or two or maybe even a win against an opponent like the Texans. And now... Effectively, what Shanahan is saying is even a nine-fingered Jimmy Garoppolo, I, I still might wait and take that over a fully healthy Trey Lance. That's not a good sign. Uh, it does not appear to be a good sign. And I honestly, like, I don't know that I can blame him that much, like, right now. Uh, like, look, I, I think when we go back and look to the beginning of the season or even early in the season when a lot there was, you know, a lot more talk about uh, playing Lance and whether he should be starting or not and, and all that kind of stuff. The discussion was really never around like who gives them the best chance to win this year, right? Like and, and to win as many games as possible in 2021. Like it was no, like th- this is kind of like the way things played out really kind of seemed like maybe they're unless things like really fell into place and they got a little lucky, like kind of getting in as a wild card team and probably a short playoff run really seemed like the best case scenario for this year's version of the team. And, and so you had to kind of weigh that is, is that worth it over, you know, the long-term development of Trey Lance and, and do you play him now and, and get him a season, even though you're not going to win as many games likely, right? You're probably not going to make the playoffs if you go that direction early on. Um, and, and it's hopefully going to put you in a better spot long-term well now for one games, you know, we're, we're, they've already committed at this point. Like they're, they're firmly in the playoff hunt. They should really, uh, unless they fall apart here, like end up with a playoff spot. I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo, like very clearly gives them a better chance to win, uh, any of these re- remaining games in the regular season and, and to do anything in the playoffs. Um, and, and I don't know that like, yeah, I, I don't know that Trey Lance is going to be able to come in and do much. I mean, they, luckily they're playing the Texans, right? And, and that's going to be, uh, you don't need a lot, I think, to out of your quarterback to be able to do, uh, enough in this game to get a win. Yeah. I think really that's, that's the thing that, that I'm looking at is if you are going to have him come in and play for a week and it looks like that's at least what Shanahan's banking on is if Garoppolo can't play this week, he will be back next week for the game against the Rams that this almost is set up perfectly for Trey Lance to get 
his some reps in to go against a, a diminished opponent, so to speak, and to go against a quarterback that you know has yes an impressive win against the Chargers in a couple of good games, uh, including one against the the New England Patriots, but isn't necessarily a, a suit. Like he's not playing it at a red hot level right now. It, you know, when I think about the the whole Trey Lance question. I, I'm I look at Jalen Hurts a lot and, and maybe it's because the I've been staring at the Eagles records and the, their games and whatnot and we played him a little earlier, but Jalen Hurts I feel like is an interesting player when it comes to how he's developed this season and that really his damage has been on the ground. And he's had a couple of efficient games through the air, but really it's through the it's he's not doing his damage through the air. He's got, you know, a couple of, of efficient games and he's been able to make some big time throws and, and keep the the Eagles in games, but when you look at his his 2021 season, he's tied for first in carries. He's first in rush yards with 361. He's got eight rushing TDs. His rushing EPA is first in the league. His rushing yards over, except, uh, over expected is first in the league. And that's compared to quarterbacks. So I think that that's like if we were to get, you know, kind of the, the Jalen Hurts path where you're using some of those legs to keep the team in the game, then then that like kind of floats you as you develop as a passer. But everyone at this point, I think, is expecting Trey Lance to come in. And now this is the end of the year, right? This is the season under your belt. You should have progressed as a passer at this point. I I don't know if I would expect too much development from him. Or maybe this is a question I throw to you, right? It, compared to his starts in, in week five and, and the spot play that he had in, in the second half of week four, how much of a leap would you expect him to have now, especially given how much the team has kind of pumped him up over the last couple of weeks? Not much. To be honest, yeah, I, I wouldn't anticipate anything too terribly different from the last start that we got from him. And and I mean, I think regardless of whether, I mean, it, what was it, Shanahan or somebody said this was like his best month of practice or something like that. The Shanahan. Right? Fred um, Warner came out and said some stuff about him carving up the scout team and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, they have been uh, they've been pumping him up. We're trying to pump him up. I mean, he got pumped up during the preseason, too. Right. And all throughout camp and, and everyone was. Uh, you know, talking about how this was going to be a legitimate like quarterback competition coming in, and then he came in and he wasn't very good, right? And and I think that's probably still the case right now. Like, uh, in terms of the Jalen Hurts thing, like that's the hope, right? I, I think at least early is is that he gives you that sort of uh profile, right? Where where it's you're getting a lot from the ground game and and you're really able to improve your efficiency overall you're able to hit some more explosive stuff because of what he's adding in that element you're adding hopefully a, a higher rate of of bigger plays in the passing game right you're throwing the ball downfield a little bit more uh and all those things but you're you're giving up efficiency in the pass game you're, you're not going to likely complete passes at, at, at as high of a rate and, and you're going to lose some stuff there, like more in the short and intermediate areas. Um, and, and you just kind of hope that it all offsets, right, and, and kind of works out to still be in a positive for you. The thing is, like, he hasn't been very good rushing the ball. And, and, and like, granted, like, it's a, an incredibly small sample. There's nothing that we've seen this season that is going to make you uh, do a 180 from what we thought about him coming into the league and, and what he was going to be able to add there. So it's it's far too early to, like, have that kind of worry. But just this season, when he's had opportunities, he hasn't looked good. He hasn't looked decisive as a runner. Like, he hasn't looked, honestly, like, as athletic as I expected. Like, he just kind of there, – there's a lot of, like, being – uh really hesitant behind the line and kind of running into a bunch of guys around the line of scrimmage and not getting a whole lot, right? Like most of his rushing yards have been 
more from like he's like a big running back right he's like uh he's getting yards after contact like moving piles type of stuff like he's not really doing anything uh to to make guys miss and and to add explosiveness to that uh element of your game so yeah i don't know i in terms of a one game situation like i i could see anything on the table but i I think very likely it's not much different than what we saw early in the season when he had the one start yeah i think there's there's what i hope and there's what i think what i hope is that yeah that the the because it feels like a long time i mean week 17 versus week five um feel i mean that that's a whole you know effectively two-thirds of football season but that's two months like imagine becoming a better driver, becoming better at your job in two months. Yeah, you might get incrementally better, but how much better can you get, especially if you're running scout team stuff? Um, and, and that's going to be the real question. I think what I hope is that he has gotten better and he has kind of gotten his sea legs under him. And he doesn't feel, because it looked like the stage was a little big for him, frankly. Um, and that makes sense. I mean, the guy hasn't played football in a year. FCS, uh, FCS player. Now he's playing against a competition he's never really seen before in his entire football career. And, and so I think the hope is that now he's going to see legs under him, but I, I, I think it would be incremental, more baby steps that we would see. Um, and, and the improvement would likely be just based on the competition. I mean, Houston is, is not a very good team, which we'll get to here yep. uh, after, after the mid roll. But um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the kind of the rest of that Titans game. Cause we didn't do a, a post game Titans game. And, and so, I mean, we had a, a Jimmy Patreon video, that is going to get posted here in a little bit for those of you that are that, are, that bought us a beer on the Patreon. And and I mean, I guess the only thing we'll say about that before we move on to the Houston game is that um, this is this is the Jimmy roller coaster, right? This is the kind of efficiency that you get that makes you think, yeah, he's a good quarterback. And then you're just waiting for that to implode. And it does. And you just never know when it's going to implode. Sometimes it implodes and the team can overcome. Sometimes it implodes and the team can't. Uh, and this was a, a game where they couldn't. Right. I, I think if you've been listening to us all season, um, nothing about that game was really much of a surprise, right? It was kind of uh, a, a couple of very common themes from throughout the season, which is the Jimmy Garoppolo roller coaster, right? Never knowing exactly uh, when that's going to, to kind of go up in flames and, and, and you're going to get all the turnover worthy plays and the bad decisions. And we got that in, in this game. And then it was also uh, the secondary being exposed, right? And, and especially that that outside cornerback spot and you have A.J. Brown coming in and just absolutely uh, demolishing them. It, again, it was wild that it it took so long. Like, I, I am... Same idea. I'm so confused as to what these teams are seeing and and to make them, like, not want to just from the, the first play of the game. Like, they should be attacking these outside cornerbacks just relentlessly. And it, it feels like it takes them half a game to get going and realize like, Hey, maybe we should throw the ball outside uh, against these corners who aren't very good. And, I really and so, do think yeah. it, it, it speaks to, it speaks to the general conservative nature of most NFL coaches. Like they, they all operate within their little box and within their lane. And there, there's not a lot of really wide open NFL head coaches, I think. And, and that's what you're seeing. You're seeing Mike Vrabel, a defensive guy who is kind of, you know, going to run the ball, play action, take, you know, shots every now and again. And so they're, they're just playing into the, the 49ers hands, which is kind of hilarious. Am- Ambry Thomas had a couple, I mean, he obviously had a couple of very high profile give ups, especially third and 23. Um, but it, the, the story on him is that he is, you know, 
taking some steps forward. Whereas before he just got roasted. Now, you know, then he was like in a position to make a play, but didn't make a play. And then he broke up a couple of passes against Tennessee. So that's that's progress in a lot of people's eyes. What have you been seeing from Ambry Thomas? Is he actually getting a little better now that he's got some game experience? Or is it just, you know, it's a coin flip when it's in the air and this time it came up Ambry Thomas? <laughs> I mean, there was only one direction to go, right? Like you, you can only go up from where <laughs> he was at. And, and so was this, uh, you know, maybe a little bit better than than what we've previously seen? Sure. I, I, I think the past breakups were a little less impressive than you would probably like uh, think on its face. Like the, the throws were kind of off target on those plays and um, really like, not that he was beat badly and it was only the throw that got him back into it, but there were, were, was definitely some space, right. That, that was there with a better throw, a more accurate throw. Um, But Hey, like the, the throw is what it, what it is. And, and he took advantage of that and, and was able to make a play and prevent his guy from getting a catch right so i I think certainly uh moving the needle in the positive direction a little bit but yeah i i I think um it's still you know there's still a lot more saying that he hasn't been very good than than he's you know uh on the upswing necessarily so yeah i i think we'll kind of continue to wait and see and and see how he plays over these last couple games and, and just kind of like what it all looks like. But yeah, I don't know that there was anything from this game against the Titans specifically that had me feeling overly optimistic about, you know, his odds suddenly being like, Oh, maybe he's actually a pretty good player. Like it was still, you know, largely not that great. And I think Emmanuel Mosley comes back, not this game, but in week 18. And if he does, I don't think he replaces Norman, which is the the wish and hope of most 49ers fans. I think he does replace Ambry Thomas. And the, the 49ers think that he maybe just got some some seasoning, some growing done with some snaps. <laughs> and, and I think he moves back to the bench, even though uh, even in Ambry Thomas's current state, um, I would take his mistakes with the hope that he's actually learning from them. than I would uh, sure. take Josh Norman, who is just, you know. He is what he is, but hey, out there like one punch. track mind, Josh Norman out there, like he is out there <laughs> to punch balls and mostly now forearms that his luck is kind of run out. He's just like he's gonna dude's gonna break his hand one of these times. It surprises um, me that we don't see more broken hands with as much punching I, as we see. Like I'm honestly shocked. Like it, it there's been yeah. a number of plays where I'm like Norman's hand is just gonna come up in pieces after this, and and it's just no, it's fine. All right, yeah, it's nuts. Well, let's talk about Houston because it's a very, very important game for the Niners, and and we're going to do that after we hear a bit from our sponsors. This week's pod is brought to you by TickPick. 49ers football is finally back and almost done, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find 49ers tickets anymore. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. If you don't believe it, and you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. There are just two games left for the 49ers, and maybe a third if they're able to make it into the playoffs. Maybe you want to look into those playoff tickets to continue the 49ers' fantastic stretch of road game takeovers, you can get the best deals by visiting TickPick.com slash Rivals today to save $10 on your first order of 49ers tickets. That's TickPick.com slash Rivals. The Houston Texans. 
this is a game the Niners can win and really make it into the playoffs. It's a team that is led by a head coach that looks like he just spends his entire day out at Club Med just roasting with no sunblock on. And, you know, their second in command is a youth pastor. You know, like th- this is this is the team that the Niners are now, uh, that they have in front of them to knock down to get to the playoffs. And, and this is not a good game. David, why am I worried? Well, I can't get over the Club Med thing. Uh, I, I <laughs> went to a Club Med once. It was a significant mistake. Like... Was Never. this in Turks and Caicos? It was. It was. And uh, it was not a good decision. I'll, I'll, That's leave, so I'll funny. leave it there for now. Um, oh, man. Wow. <laughs> well, he just he he's just this odd shade of orange, uh, the, the head coach. And it's it's not quite orange, but it's not quite like tan brown. I, I don't know, man. Uh, but he's he, he has this team. And I think maybe I'm worried because they just played the the I almost called them the San Diego Chargers again. Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. And they threw up 41 points. Granted, some of those points were uh, pick six from the defense. But this is a team that has won two games, which in Houston they call a streak. And it is, it's, this is a team where it's like, I don't know that the Niners can necessarily take them for granted and look ahead to Los Angeles because Davis Mills, you know, he, he's, it's so funny because he's such an interesting comp to Lance in that he didn't have a lot of games in college. He only started 11 games at Stanford, had 440 passes over 2019 and 2020. Lance had 318. Both came in, you know, basically with not a lot of college experience. But Davis Mills has gotten experience over the course of this year because he's now started 11 games. And he's had a couple of really good ones. And over the course of the year, you've seen him get a little bit better. He's not, you know, a world beater by any stretch. No one's calling him one of the, you know, kind of average or above average quarterbacks in the league. But he, his first game, I think he had four interceptions. It was very, very bad. And over the course of the year, it seems like he's been putting stuff together. I just hope he doesn't put more stuff together against the 49ers. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I'm I'm necessarily terribly worried about Davis Mills. I think uh, you look at it kind of some of the, the more underlying stuff, right? So you mentioned like the interceptions. Yeah, he had uh, four interceptions early on against Buffalo. Um, had another multiple interception game uh, a couple weeks later against Indianapolis. And then since then has only thrown two interceptions. So that's since week six, right? And, and he missed a little stretch uh, kind of in the middle of the year there. But the turnover where he plays have been there the whole time. I, I mean, essentially, he has only had two games without a turnover where they play. And that was last week against the Chargers. And then that was the game that they uh, won against New England. And so, um, or that he played well against New England. And so, yeah, I, I think when you uh, look at it, kind of the the other numbers there, it's he's still putting the ball in harm's way. He's just getting more fortunate, right? And I think you see that with his turnover worthy play rate that that's one of the highest in the NFL. I think it's like top five. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think when we we went back and and looked at his game last week against Chargers to to see like, hey, is there you know anything here that they're doing? um that that we should be worried about or or anything that really showed that yeah he might be developing more and and I came away really thinking that no he all that happened in that game was I think yeah he did avoid the big mistakes right which which hasn't always been the case but I don't think we can really count on that continuing yet right until he shows more consistency in his ability to avoid those he had three the week before against Jacksonville so I I don't know that that's a a huge concern yet and then he hit a couple big plays downfield which was uh on on kind of the other side of it and and that's something 
he really hasn't done consistently, right? And, and so other than that, it's a lot of underneath stuff. It's a lot of short throws. It, it's a lot of, um, you know, in, in PFF lane would be zero graded throws, right? Easy expected completions is kind of where he's making his living most of the time. Um, and, and I think, yeah, uh, there's nothing really that the 49ers should be terribly worried about in, in this game from him. Yeah, you look at his deep throw rate on the year and his 9.4% deep throw rate puts him 29th out of 36 quarterbacks. Um, That is, and that's over the last four weeks, uh, it's 7.5%. So it's actually been shorter over the last four weeks than it has over the course of the year. So he's not throwing deep as much because that was that that was my worry. I saw that, that you see the highlights, right? You see the Philip Dorsett throw, you see the Chris Conley throw, you're like, oh man. He's chucking these up, and this is without Brandon Cooks, who was out because of COVID. They got something like 16 players back this week, nine starters they were out against uh, San Diego or Los Angeles. I'm never going to not call them San Diego. <laughs> and and really, over the last four weeks, his deep throw rate is is only above one qualifying quarterback, and that was Jimmy Garoppolo. Shocker. So he doesn't he doesn't throw deep often, and and he's completing them at, at, at a decent enough clip. His ball accuracy and his ball location accuracy is actually middle of the pack. It's not bad. But this is still a quarterback who I think has has, you know, had more bad tape than good tape on film. And if that's the the team the 49ers get to, I think the defense should be able to do just enough to keep them down. Now, the offense, on the other hand, you know, we're going to get to that in a little bit, depending on whether or not they have Trey Lance or Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, or even a hobble Jimmy Garoppolo. I think we'll you will probably approach that that preview a little bit differently. But Davis Mills, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he does, because he's he's now saying that he is you know he's growing he's better he has a quote uh, on you know his pre-snap reads where he says you know I'd, I'd like to say that i was doing some of the same stuff early in the season but i feel like i've progressed i'm able to anticipate more pre-snap i'm able to go out there and just take what the defense is giving us which you know take what the defense is giving you that's fine we'll give you five yard throws you do that you do that yeah. but um you know the, the story on him right now is that he's progressing he's getting reps he's getting better he's doing the thing that we all wish trey lance was doing and and I don't know that that's necessarily borne out with it, with everything, right? Yeah, I think the I mean take what the defense has given us is uh, is a pretty funny way to put it because yeah, I mean I think when you look at that Chargers game, right, it is a lot of underneath stuff. I mean there were uh, there was a play early on in the first quarter where. Uh, he had like a corner route that was breaking open against cover two that that was really wide open. And, and I mean, he's looking right at it, decides to throw it short down to kind of the shallow crosser there and and, and take the easy completion. And so, yeah, I think uh, he is taking the easy completions underneath. And he's, you know, I, I think that's as much as you can hope for for a guy like Davis Mills, right, is, is you do kind of take that easier stuff that's there. Um, you don't really try too many like higher difficulty throws and you try to protect the ball, right? Like that's as much as you can really hope for, for guys like that. And he was able to do that last week. I think the one thing that would be, uh, you know, a little worrisome considering the outside corners that the 49ers do have the, the, the shots that they do tend to take, or at least that they took against and, and completed against, uh, the chargers were kind of just the almost like pre-designed just uh, deep balls, vertical routes down the sideline, right? So it's just the outside receiver is going to run a go and, and go vertically on that corner, and, and he's just going to throw it up, right? And, and I think that's what they were able to connect on in uh, in that game a couple times, and I think you worry about those one-on-one situations with the Niners corners, right? Like anytime it's a downfield throw and the ball's in the air, like you don't feel great about their ability to win that individual matchup. And and that's even right with the the Texans not really having anybody 
that scares you as a receiving group, right? I, I mean, I think obviously Cooks, um, with him back in there, is is kind of maybe the the exception. They do have speed with a lot of their other guys, but it's still like you know n- nobody that you're terribly worried about. But I think that would be the thing, right? Is if they just decide, hey, let's take some shots against these corners. We're just going to throw it up and see what happens. Like that's worrisome, kind of no matter who's playing quarterback. Yeah, it's Philip Dorsett. It is Chris Conley. It is Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins, none of which are going to, you know, I guess, blow your socks off, except for Brandon Cooks. But Brandon Cooks, really, it's it's about speed. It's about taking the top off. And he is, I mean, their offense, when he's playing, really does their passing offense, really does run through him. He is the the relevant wide receiver in that group. And, and he could create some problems if they choose to go deep. But it's not something that Davis Mills does often. And we know that that the style of a quarterback, you know, one of the things that goes into that is how often they throw deep. And it's not something that he does a ton. So it really is going to need to be the Niners buckling down and preventing whatever shots Houston does take, because we know they will take some. And as long as they can buckle down and prevent the maybe two or three that Houston takes, I think they'll, they'll largely be fine. The other thing that I thought was interesting against the Titans was what seemed like a max protect strategy where the Titans were basically going to have a lot of extra blockers in six, seven blockers, only got a couple wide receivers out into the route and they were successful there. I mean, it was basically just throw it up, chuck it up against Ambry Thomas and that was going to work. And that's been a lot of the team's plan going into their game plans against the 49ers. You've got Atlanta who did that with Kyle Pitts uh, and, and you know, Russell Gage. You, you have now the Titans who did that with AJ Brown. And, and if the, uh, if the Houston Texans are watching that tape, they're thinking the same thing. Let's throw it up to Brandon Cooks. Uh, and the Titans are, they have the fifth most plays with seven or more pass protectors. The Texans have the sixth most. I mean, it was definitely a part of their game plan. I mean, you look at it just specifically last week, Ryan Tannehill had the most dropbacks in the league in week 16 with at least seven pass protectors in there. So seven or more guys staying in to protect seven times out of his, I think it was 36 dropbacks that he had in total. So uh, it, it was certainly, yeah, part of what they wanted to do. He was largely successful with those, went four or six uh, for 60 yards. So uh, had a had a, a, a turnover where they play mixed in there, but you know that was uh, really the only kind of blemish that he had. Uh, and, and so, yeah, they were able to find, you know, AJ Brown on those. And I think it makes sense against the 49ers defense, right? I mean, obviously they, they have one, very significant strength defensively and that is their pass rush and their defensive line and then they have one glaring weakness in in that secondary right especially on the outside and so when when you go max protect you're basically saying that hey we're going to put in these extra blockers we're going to run guys usually on the outside right when you get kind of those two-man routes a lot of times it's just guys lined up one you know one on each side of the formation and they're going to kind of run uh and do their thing against the outside corners and so you're, you're trying to isolate those matchups, right? And say that we're going to put in extra guys. We're not going to allow your defensive line uh, an easy path to go ahead and affect our quarterback. And we're just going to try and, and win these one-on-one matchups on the outside. And I think that makes a lot of sense against this defense. And, and it'll be interesting to see if they, like the Titans, go to that um, you know fairly routinely in, in their offense this week. Yeah, while the Texans have the sixth most plays with seven or more pass protectors just behind the Titans, they are not as effective or efficient as the Titans on those plays. Uh, and they are 27th in EPA per play on those dropbacks. And maybe one of the reasons they go to max protect as often as they do is because they have the fourth highest quick pressure allowed rate in the NFL. 
And that is going to be a plus matchup for the 49ers defense because if they can get quick pressure on Davis Mills, and there are a couple of players that can get quick pressure on quarterbacks, namely one by the name of Mr. Nick Bosa, then that could be that that's one of the 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 things that an offense has where the Niners defense looks really, really dominant is when they can get after the quarterback and do it often. It really does create that blanket of protection. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, that's going to be, I think, the key thing, especially, you know, if, if the four are going to be limited from the quarterback position, whether that's going to be, uh, you know, a, a not 100 percent Jimmy Garoppolo out there and, and who knows what you're going to get because of that thumb. Um, or whether that's Trey Lance and just kind of some, you know, likely inevitable rookie struggles that he's going to go through over the course of the game, you're, you're going to need a little bit more from the defense, right, to kind of compensate for that. And so I think you you definitely need to take advantage when they don't go max protect, right? Your defensive line has to step up and be able to win those matchups and get pressure on Mills, maybe create some turnovers there. And then when Mills, you know, very likely has a couple turnover worthy plays over the course of the game you need to take advantage of those, right? And you need to create some extra possessions for your offense, hopefully some short fields. Um, and, and these are going to be all things that they can do because I mean, yeah, let's be real. Like the, the Texans offense is probably the worst in the NFL, right? Like they, they should, even with the deficiencies, the 49ers have, uh, defensively, like they should be, uh, very much like the dominant side in that matchup, right? And, and so they should be able to go and handle business, do things that make it easier for their offense who might be a little handicapped. Especially when you look at the flip side and you look at the Houston defense and, and you look at there's that there's not really a unit there that is good. Like they're they're bad in pass coverage. Their linebackers are terrible. And and their best coverage player is their nickel, uh, Tavier Thomas. And he doesn't play all the snaps. Their best pass, they have one good pass rusher. And and he might have COVID. I think he got activated. I think so. I think he might be back, but he doesn't really, I think, play on base downs or something like that. He doesn't have like a full game's worth of snaps, so uh, or a full season's worth of snaps. So they've got like their their two best players are situational players, and their regular defense, their base defense, which is the one the Niners are probably gonna want to get on the field, doesn't have fantastic players. This is we talked in the Atlanta game how. Yes, you could, you know, squint and see a path to an Atlanta victory, but it should be a a game where the 49ers come in and handle business. And this feels like that game too. I'm always going to worry a little bit because I worry about everything, but this is a game that the Niners should walk in and handle comfortably, especially at home, knowing that the playoffs are on the line. The real question is going to be, you know, whether or not starting Trey Lance or a hobble Jimmy Garoppolo ends up costing them enough that it makes it close. I think the the thing that needs to happen and that really should happen is the run game needs to be clicking, right? I mean, that's going to be kind of the key to the whole thing that's going to keep them in a game script that, that allows them to hide whatever they've got going on at quarterback, right? And so, I mean, Houston's run defense, again, not very good. Um, that that is a matchup that they should do very well in, right? They should be able to run the ball effectively uh, and, and kind of do their thing there. And, and so if you're picking up consistent yardage, you're breaking some big plays on the ground, you're, you're not forcing Lance or Garoppolo to kind of get in a ton of situations where it's third and long or, you know, those obvious passing situations, they're not put in a lot of those. They can kind of pick their spots, throw to some open guys on play action, uh, and, and just kind of keep it pretty minimal there. And, and then you, you know, hope that your defense does what we just talked about. And, and so 
Um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the game script that they have needed and, and that will likely be the case if they come away with the win we expect in this game. Um, I, I think it's only if for some reason they just can't get it going on the ground, right? They start falling behind down in distance. They make some, uh, you know, too many mistakes offensively and, and have some turnovers in there where they just fall behind. Like that's the situation that they don't want to be in, right? Where, where it's just like, okay, now we're having to rely on either uh, four-fingered Jimmy Garoppolo or, you know, Trey Lance, who, who knows, like, you know, what he's going to be able to do as a passer. Uh, at this stage. And, and so I think that's bad news, right, for, for them. But I think it's unlikely they find themselves in that situation. Speaking of the running game, you know who could just absolutely blow this game wide open now that he's coming back from injured reserve? Trey Sermon. His five special team snaps may be the difference in this game. All I'm saying. Yeah, totally. Special teams. That's what that's what we like. Over under on the number of snaps that, that, that Trey Sermon gets now that he's back. The line is set at three. <laughs> We're still um, without Mitchell, right? Still going to be with Yeah, him. so there's a chance that he plays this week, but I don't know that it seems likely. It seems okay, like another so Jeff Assuming special. he is out, you're giving me three snaps. I'll take over, you know? Jeff Wilson hasn't been very impressive for the most part. Like, yeah. um, I, I think, like, why not, right? You need to get somebody back there sometimes that's not Debo Samuel. So, uh, yeah, I'll take, I'll take over if Mitchell's out. Yeah. You know, you, you talked about the game plan that the Niners can execute and that they should execute, rely on the running game, you know, take a couple of gimme completions, throw to open players. I feel like Trey Lance can do that. I feel like he should be able to do that at the end of this season, whether or not, you know, he'll be able to, who the hell knows, but especially against this kind of a defense, you know, I think that that's, that's going to be interesting to see whomever plays what ends up happening. Because um, I think it tells you a lot, right? The decisions that this team makes tells you a lot other than what they say in press conferences. And if, and if Shanahan really does take a, you know, a, a four-fingered or nine-fingered, depending on whether you want to count both his hands, Garoppolo over Trey Lance at this point, then that tells you i think enough other than like he's had the the best four weeks of practice like they still think that he's the best <laughs> he's, quarterback at this point he's still shit he's had the best four weeks of practice uh of his short career right now but he still sucks yeah i, I think like um absolutely like even if you're trying to look right through their like the, their thinking right which is we want to get in the playoffs and we want to try to make a run right they, they're trying to maximize what they get out of 2021 it, it really does feel like that's kind of the move right like this is a game that you should win. You're the better team, like pretty clearly in, in nearly every area. Um, if Trey Lance can't go out there and and execute a run-heavy game plan um, that milks a lot of clock and, and that can handle business against one of the worst defenses in the NFL, while Jimmy Garoppolo can rest and then you hopefully get him a little bit in a little bit better shape for that Week 18 game or for whatever playoff games that you're going to get, uh, like that seems like the way to go. Like they should be able to win this game with Trey Lance. And, and so it would be nice to, I think, see him out there. Yep. I absolutely agree. I want to see him out there. I want to see him get those snaps. I want to see him get the rep help on the playoff push. And then, you know, who knows, who knows what will happen. All right, let's round out with some quick hits. Uh, and we start again with playoff odds. Don't talk about playoffs. We are going to talk about playoffs. Uh, playoffs. There we go. That's right. There it is. Uh, seventy-five percent odds to make the playoffs right now. 
based on 538's odds, but it feels a bit more tenuous. And it feels a bit more tenuous because we cannot get into a three-way tie with the New Orleans Saints. In a three-way tie with the New Orleans Saints, the tiebreaker shifts away from head-to-head matchups against Philadelphia, which the Niners have, or the Vikings, which the Niners have. And once you get into a three-way tie, the tiebreaker then becomes conference record. And once it becomes conference record, the Niners have a worse conference record because of, I don't know, losses to maybe the worst Seattle team in a decade. Or the collapse against Green Bay. Or the loss to the Colt McCoy-led Cardinals. All of those are within conference. All of those loom large. It's actually a one-game deficiency that they have. Uh, that, that ultimately, if they get in a three-way tie with the Eagles and the Saints at 9-8 and eight because they go 1-1 one and one in these two games, they lose out. Saints and Eagles make the playoffs. So yes, the Niners control their own destiny, but man, room for error really would help. It really, really would help. And for them to have some room for error, that basically you need to root against the Saints. This is what you need to know. Because in a tie, in a two-team tie with the Eagles, they win. Because they have head-to-head, right? There's a scenario where there's a four-way tie where the Vikings, Saints, Eagles, and Niners all end up nine and eight. It would mean the Vikings have to beat Green Bay in week 17. But in that case, the 49ers are in the playoffs. The one thing they cannot sustain is a three-way tie with the Saints. They can even get in a three-way tie with a bunch of other teams, right? Let's say the Saints don't make it, but they're in a three-way tie with like the Falcons and the Eagles and, and it's the Niners. The Niners get in. It's really the Saints. So from here for the rest of the year, if you weren't already, we are anti-Saints. This is the takeaway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, the, the three-way tie situation. So I was just also doing uh, a look to see, like, what are the odds that the Rams don't give a shit about that final game and and that they can get an easy win? And so basically, the the Rams will clinch the division and therefore not need to give a shit about the, the Week 18 game against the 49ers. If they beat Baltimore this week, if the Cardinals lose... That's it. Well, it's not it's not entirely true though, because dude, I've I've been down this I've I this got is, so this deep is what down. This playoff rabbit tells hole. me right now. Sure, but what 538 isn't telling you is fixed seeding in the playoffs because you may lock up the division, but you may still jockey for position within that. And really who the Rams are jockeying with are the Dallas Cowboys. And the Dallas Cowboys and the Rams could be jockeying for positioning there. And and this is the other thing that we need, right? We need the Cowboys to play a meaningful game in Week 18 because they play the Eagles. And if they rest their starters in Week 18, now you're giving, you're giving the Eagles a win. That's the other team that you need to lose out if the Saints end up winning out. So you want the Cowboys to play a meaningful game in Week 18, and so you want them to, you know, basically not have to rest all their starters. So yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to make the argument that, you know, they're fine with being the four or five seed, they don't care, then, you know, that's fine. Or well, I guess it'd be the three, be three or the four three seed. Or four. Three yeah. or the four seed, yeah. Um, then they don't care, then sure. But I do think they may still jockey for playoff positioning. And, and that means that they're still going to play their starters the final week of the year. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, I don't know how much, without if that cow- buy now... Like, you know, it, yeah. for the number two seed, like how much do they really like either way, whether they're two or three, like, I think, yeah, it, it would, 
um, you know, potentially make a difference, uh, I guess, if you're four. Well, even not even then for the first round, right? Because no matter what, as, as a division winner, you're going to get a home playoff game, a home for game. Your first round. So um, you're going to get that. I mean, I, I don't know that they're going to be too concerned about, you know, the matchup. Because, again, like it's 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 pretty much after those top four anyway. And then, I mean, depending on what Arizona team you get, like the wild cards are not feeling very dangerous, right? Like it's, I don't think that you're too worried about playing really any of those teams. So especially, yeah, if, if it's depending on what Tampa Bay I mean, Bay you know, does, Sean McVay doesn't want to pay his dad. I mean, <laughs> Kyle Shanahan, yeah, Kyle Shanahan is basically McVay's dad at this point. Uh, I guess eight, week 18, if, if the Niners can beat McVay in, in week 18, um, and they're playing at full strength, and that's something. But yeah, having the Rams not care about playoff seeding would also help the Niners uh, quite a bit. But yeah, this is, I mean, it, it's just, it's frustrating that I think you can make the argument that the Niners, the, the, the clear choices that they've made, whether it be philosophically about team construction or about how they've handled the quarterback position, are why they are in this tenuous playoff spot. Because if you look at the, the loss against Green Bay, it was largely because they don't have corners. That's a philosophical decision. If you look at the the losses against Seattle, you've got bad interception Jimmy. You look at the 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 Colts game, and and it's like you know you you drafted a quarterback that you knew was going to be a project that you said it was going to insulate you and just isn't ready. Um, these are all, and I think against Seattle too, uh, the first Seattle game was when the kicker was injured, and so you go and you trot out your your kicker on a fourth down play where you really should just go for it fourth down decision making from Shanahan like these are the margins at this point that cost you games here and there that now put you in a position where you could actually lose you can actually win out there's a scenario where the team wins out and they still lose um oh no that's not true that was that was true only if the the Dolphins lost but now now they control their own destiny that's right I've I've already zoomed ahead one week um so many but but yes I know I know it's a lot to think about but yeah I mean I think that the takeaway ultimately is like no three-way tie Control your own destiny. Fuck the Saints. That's all you need to know. Cool. Uh, Debo Samuel, he is a dad. That means he officially hey. gets his dad strength upgrade. He joins. He can. He has a seat now on Daddington Island with the rest of us. We'll send him Cocoa Melon videos, Sesame Street clips, all manner of different child-related stuff. <laughs> Bro, you're going to need that uh, happy song early, okay? Get the happy song. Yeah. Ready to go. But then you got to graduate from the happy song and the other stuff because Imogen Heap yeah. gets tired real quick. Trust me. That opening baby giggle drop starts out very happy, ends up very sad. <laughs> uh, Debo Samuel is uh, and has been phenomenal this year for the 49ers. He finished with uh, 150 receiving yards against the Titans. Uh, that's the fourth time this season that he's gone over 150 receiving yards. That leads the NFL this year, but it's also the most by a 49er since Jerry Rice had five games over 150 yards in 1995. Great googly moogly. Um, that is one year after John Madden started broadcasting games for Fox. That's how long ago that's been. Uh, speaking of which, RIP John Madden. Love, love, love John Madden. Um, already, we'll talk a little bit about him here at the end, but um, he already has the most rushing touchdowns by a wide receiver in the Super Bowl era with seven. And if he ends up leading the 49ers in rushing touchdowns, which he currently does, he would be the first wide receiver to lead his team in rushing touchdowns since the merger in 1970. He is the first 
49ers Pro Bowl receiver since Terrell Owens in 2003. 2003. And he's the first 1,000-yard receiver since Anquan Bolden like squeaked over 1,000 yards in 2014. Been a while since we've had uh, some some good receiver play, right? Like, Man. yeah, I mean, the the you said the Owens, you know, the Pro Bowl thing uh, with Owens in two thousand three. I wasn't even surprised. I was like, almost like, oh, really? Like that recently? Like it feels like it's been <laughs> uh, my entire life since Jerry Rice left. You know that that uh, they haven't had anybody there that's been able to do shit. And so, yeah, it, it's it's nice to have. Uh, just, yeah, somebody that's been able to consistently produce for them. And he's, you know, it's been nice having him on the field, uh, more consistently this year. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, he has been kind of the guy offensively, um, that that's been fun to watch pretty much for the entire season. Right. Yeah. Let's hope he gets another 150 more, uh, against the Texans. That'd be great. Bigger fan fantasy team too. That'd be awesome. Oh, you, um, do you mean I was going to save this for the end? But do you mean your fantasy yeah, team that's no longer in the hunt in the playoffs? Because, yeah, uh, yeah. I beat you for the third time this year, and the season that I stopped caring about fantasy football. Look, and I'm all now I'm in saying the championship because that's how fantasy football works. It's stupid. Like all I'm saying is the Cavaliers got one against the Warriors, uh, and this is your one. You know, I've I've been in the finals two years now. Holy uh, you are now finally there. Welcome. You can you can now join the club. Uh, you may even join the championship club that, you know, we have a special handshake and a key that gets us in. We get free drinks and whiskey. You may be able to join if you win this year. Uh, it's it's wonderful. But yeah, welcome. Welcome to the club. It's fun. Yeah. What, are, what kind of favors do you do to get that fantasy defense, huh? <laughs> that lowest points allowed bullshit. That's how you squeak it into these championships. All right. I don't want to fucking. It's hear. great. It's wonderful. Um, but yes, congratulations on your fantasy win, David. Uh, fantasy football finally matters. Uh, and let's hope it, that it this still year. Doesn't. That's the great thing. That's the thing about fantasy football. I barely remember to set my lineup for our playoff game last week. Like it's terrible. I yeah. li- literally I've spent maybe this entire season collectively like no more than two hours just it's like setting my lineup if i remember and that's it and i somehow snuck into the playoffs and now have won two playoff games and i'm in the championship and you because that's how fantasy by like, works by like two tenths of a point which is hilarious two of yeah, a yeah the the uh the extent to which i have spent on the football on, on fantasy football on that league specifically is basically 20 minutes uh, the, the 20 minute tinker stinker on Saturday or Sunday, uh, in the morning. And that's it. Yeah. That's it's not even it. that I'm like, okay, are the guys that I have in there like hurt? No. Playing. Do I need to swap anybody out that, that is not actually playing today? Okay. Done. Moving on. Lastly, before, uh, David gets, uh, you know, too high on that horse and he can't get back down. Um, is is just a little bit about John Madden because man, I I really was crushed to hear that he had died. And while yes, he was he was on the older side, he had declining health. He was eighty five years old. There, I mean, he he is a guy who really defined a lot of our childhood and and why it is that we love football, at least for me. And, and I think you can draw a pretty clear straight line between what he did and how he did it, and why I even wanted to start a podcast. Um, you know, when I was much younger, because I started, I I tried to do it once in 2008 
like right when podcasts were taken off. And not only was I terrible at it, but technology was terrible. And it was just, it was, I tried to do it as one person. It was very, very difficult. But, you know, the, 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 the idea of John Madden and, and explaining something that seemed complex in a way that everyone understood and doing it in a fun way that, you know, brought you along as a co-pilot on a journey, that seemed really cool. And that seemed really fun. And he did that for a lot of people. And it just, it sucks that, you know, you know, eventually it happens and, and age comes for everyone, but it's still, it's still very, very much sucks. He is an icon and a titan of the game. And um, yeah, it just, it sucks to hear that. And I never, you know, you, you, you never know how this stuff's going to affect you when you get that notification like, oh shit, man, that sucks. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, this is RIP John Madden because, you, you know, he's one of the greats. Yeah, I mean, uh, the 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 point that you had there about being able to explain the complex stuff in in a very simple and easy to understand way, and to do that, you know, on a stage where we're like, you know, as um, a broadcaster, especially like the top broadcaster for you know whatever network that he happens to be on, like your audience isn't the same as say like our podcast audience, right? Like you find our podcast because you do want to, you know, like dive deeper and, and you have, you know, likely a, a better understanding than the casual fan. And so you can't go and and like talk about the same stuff that we talk about on the podcast on a nationally broadcast game, because like the majority of your audience is just not going to give a shit. Right. And and they're not going to pay attention to it and you're going to lose them. And, and so when you can do that and, and football is so jargon heavy and it's something that I've like kind of come to hate about like people explaining it. I really try uh, as hard as I can to kind of avoid it. Um, but, but it's just like, yeah, it's so easy to get kind of lost in the sauce, right. With all the terminology and all the different things, especially because nothing's consistent across teams. And so when you can do that stuff and explain something that, that is very complex in just like simple language that, that anybody can pick up and understand and see what you're talking about, um, I, I think is, is really cool. And is like, uh, you know, a big thing and something that we definitely strive to do, um, you know, as, as we're doing stuff on the podcast or the Patreon or whatever. Yeah. His, his documentary, I'm going to fire it up. If not this weekend, maybe even, uh, maybe even now, cause I guess yeah. it was supposed to be released on Peacock and ESPN plus in the new year, like January 3rd, January 6th, somewhere around there, they moved that release date up. So now yeah, it's not it just on, on FS1. Yeah. It's not just on FS1. It's now on Peacock. It's now on ESPN Plus, And it's on the Fox stuff. So tune in. It was a documentary about John Madden's life that came out on Christmas Day. Um, definitely give it a watch. I know I'll be watching it very, very soon. All right. I think that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Well, that went a little bit long, longer. And we went back to our, our original roots, a one-hour show on Wednesday. Um, yeah. I, uh, we didn't do Womp Womp Wednesday because, you know, as still had other we've had other things at the top to get to you know that would have been much but um uh, you can follow me on twitter at better rivals david tell me about the patreon patreon.com slash better rivals go there support the pod buy us a beer you get all the fun stuff right you know it by now if you're you're hanging out listening to the end of the podcast you know what's there if you haven't gotten in on it yet you should feel a little guilty about that and you should go correct that mistake buy us a beer support the pod it's great. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>